Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Today, I catch up with Aaron Smith, founder of KX Pilates, Australia's leader in Reforma Pilates with 99 studios nationally and 110 globally. We spoke about the importance of self-awareness, how emotions can impact you as an entrepreneur and as a leader, how to start and grow a successful franchise, and how to replace yourself as CEO. Today was the first time that I've met Aaron, and I'm very happy I did because he is a brilliant, beautiful, and fantastic guy that I learned a lot from, and I'm sure you will too. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I've been excited to talk about your story because, uh, I mean, I love talking to brands that a lot of people know, and KX Pilates uh, is a pretty serious brand. It's the biggest, is it the largest Pilates uh, brand in the country? The largest reformer Pilates brand in the the country, yeah. And how many studios is that? Uh, We open our 100th and 101 studio this Saturday in Australia. Uh, We've currently got 109 globally, so we've got – a couple in um, – we, we launched Singapore in April this year. We launched New Zealand last October. But four in Taiwan, a couple in China. Obviously, they got pretty whacked with COVID and um, a couple of studios in Jakarta as well. So the the APAC regions just really – we've just grabbed our partners in a couple of years. They're really in the proof of concept stages, just growing their individual or, or couple of uh, company-owned studios before they're about to franchise as well. And how does it feel about to get your hundreds? That must be a big Incredible. feel, I can imagine. Well, yeah, my wife opened the Noosa studio. We've, we've lived up in the Sunshine Coast now for 18 months uh, and K- KX wasn't up there. So after six months when we decided we weren't moving back to Melbourne, she's like, right. And as a client, she's obsessed with KX and, and she's like, nothing's like it up here, so I'm going to open one. And I was like, well, I'm not. Um, I've done my I've done my thing. Um, so she's opened it with her best friend and that was actually the 100th studio globally, which was pretty incredible. Um, but no, 100 Studio in Australia, I mean, look, uh, 13 years ago when I started the brand, I wrote down, you know, I was, I was involved in the entourage for, for a couple of years and I wrote down 60, 60 – what did I say? 50 franchise studios, 10 company studios, and I'd sell. And um, and we and that was the goal was 2020. We reached that milestone in 2018. And I was like, I'm not selling anything. <laughs> and and so, so when did you start? What year? 2010. Jeez, oh, it's been going a long time. Yeah. And and so how does one actually start a Pilates studio? Like, what made you? What what's your wait? So you said you're from Melbourne. Originally Melbourne, born and bred. Yeah. And and what made you actually be like? You know what? I'm going to start a Pilates company. Yeah, so because you don't actually look like no, the, what I, you know, like uh, the, the typical Pilates. Uh, you're a bit more buffed than I'd imagine. Correct, <laughs> and and KX is not your typical Pilates as well. So and it kind of works well. But um, no, look, my journey started um in in my late teenage years when I found fitness and it changed my my life. Basically, we can touch a, lo- a little bit more on that later. But um, I I always knew I wanted to have my own business. I didn't know what I wanted. Um, I started traveling. I was obsessed with traveling. It was just my way to get out, be free, and uh, really be the person that I I, I was. Like um, I grew up in a very – I was very lucky the way I grew up in, in, in the world, but it was quite sheltered. So getting out and traveling was my way of just opening up and, and, and learning everything about myself. Um, as I said, fitness changed my life, so I changed all my stuff in, in university to exercise physiology, became a personal trainer, um, started working in gyms in Southeast Melbourne, uh, built my kind of name up in the strength and conditioning world. Hence why I still carry the, 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 muscle. the, 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 the muscle, the bulk, cause I still love throwing weights around. Uh, that, that's my, one of my passions as well. But, um, 
Um, and then, yeah, traveling led me two years into America. Um, I'm a big snowboarder and skier, so I was in uh, the Vale Valley in Colorado, which is one of my happiest places uh, where my wife and I got married on the top of Vale in 2018. Um, but uh, that led me then to realize how incredible, incredibly different the world of fitness was outside of Australia. You know, back then you could be a personal trainer in six weeks and, and a lot of people who had no idea what they wanted to do but liked lifting weights, their parents would throw them into a personal training course. So the world was saturated. You had, you know, tons of personal training going on in parks around Melbourne. Gyms were crazy. Personal training studios were coming everywhere. But I just knew that I didn't want to go that direction because I didn't want to substitute my time for a dollar. And that's exactly right. A couple of my friends were really successful in that space, but they worked 90 hours a week and they knew that they couldn't step back because their clients would then leave or a lot of their trainers as well would just go off and either open their own studios or just go and take their clients into the park. Um, so it was just a business that I knew that that, that wasn't it. Uh, led me over to, Amer uh, to London from there. Um, I came across a style of dynamic Pilates in London and Pilates to me was very slow, boring, something that was happening in the big box gyms or rehabilitation Pilates. So every single physiotherapy in Australia at that time was bolting on a Pilates studio to get 10 weeks extra out of their clients. It was a very smart business move. And also, it, I mean, it worked. It, it really pushed them through. But after those 10 weeks or when they were fixed, it was like, well, they're, they're bored. They're over it. Where do they go now? Um, but this world of Pilates that I walked to in London was, you know, London, it was very um, – uh, it was very prestigious. Uh, the clients were very wealthy. They were already fit and health conscious. The music was pumping. The studio was loud. Our studio actually, we couldn't, it was really hard to find in, in the West End. Uh, but that was the cool thing about it. Cause if you knew where it was, you knew where it was. And if you didn't, well, it was kind of a secret. So, and that's when I knew that we, we never had to be on a high street, um, street front because because the destination was what it was and word of mouth was what it was. We grew that business over there from one to, I think there was probably three or four studios by the time I left three years later, but there were also probably another 15 studios outside of our brand there that were our trainers that went and did their own thing um, because my boss at the time said, no, she didn't want business partners. So I learned a lot about what not to do in business. And that's why you went into the whole franchising that's why franchising was yeah, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But but I just fell in love with the style. It was basically everything I knew in the gym, but on a reformer machine. And I could train the crap out of people. And like the sweat was pouring down their faces. They were having a great time. The music was pumping. My personality was performing in classes. It just fitted to my personality. I loved it. But isn't it amazing how, you know, just putting yourself out there to do new things just often changes your life. Like even just the fact that um, you, you know, tra you wanted to travel and, and perhaps you had a, a quite a comfortable environment at home in Melbourne. You wanted to get, you kind of wanted, you felt that need to push yourself and, 100%. and, and get out. I actually did the exact same thing when I turned 18. I, I, I ran straight away to Europe. But, and I remember that feeling, that thinking like I need to have some sort of stress, I guess, or growth. Like I didn't know what it was, but I, I think that's an important feeling. And if someone's out there feeling that like, okay, I need to push myself or I need to do something. I need to change something. It doesn't need to be travel. It could just be starting the business or it 100%. could be taking a change. random new job Simple. like you did with the, you know, the, the Pilates instructor, which you've never done. Like yeah. both those two things led to you having over a hundred studios. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're just two things that you would like, you're not connecting the dots in terms of that's a business move, yeah. but it is in yeah. fact, it's a, it's a you move. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. And, um, and it completely changed my life. Like, like the, the whole getting into fitness when I was 17, 18 changed my life and that, that travel completely changed my life. 
the amount of things I learned in traveling was incredible. The confidence that I grew, like I would walk through those gates in Melbourne and I would be whoever I wanted to be. No one knew who I was. So I could literally make shit up and be the, be someone that I'd never been before uh, and just, you know, play with my personality a bit. I was already joking with the security people and, and immigration. Um, and, and, and the pressure just wasn't there that was on me growing up. Um, the pretentiousness that I was feeling coming out of a, a, a private or boys school um, was gone. I was, uh, you know, just I was hanging with normal people. Um, and, and the people that you meet overseas is incredible. Everyone's there to have a good time. Um, but, you know, shit doesn't always go your way. You're dealing with adversity. You're missing trains, missing flights, you know, sleeping on um, – sleeping on train station floors to get up the next day. Like there's so much that goes wrong when you travel. You run out of money. You lose your passport. Like sometimes we used to go to a place and not even have anywhere to stay and the first place would go, this is showing my age, but, you know, take us straight to a, an internet cafe and would, you know, Google the best place to stay or best hostels, that sort of stuff. So it was, it was fun. It's kind of like forced adversity. Absolutely. You know, you, you're creating your own adversity to, to grow, yep. yeah, to get strong. And you mentioned that so you had a personal uh, kind of health revelation. Yeah. Can you t tell, tell us more? Are you happy to share yeah. more about that? No, absolutely. So I was um, I was always into sports. I, I grew up playing basketball, um, football, uh, snowboarding. I was, I was lucky to, to be a family that was taken to the snow every every winter to Mount Buller and um, so I was always really, really sporty. Um, you know, at the, at the age of 17, I was playing five basketball, six basketball games a week. Uh, I, I thought I was probably relatively okay back then. Um, but I had a compulsive eating disorder. So I would come home, uh, our, our pantry at, at my household, the Smith household was very famous. You had to walk past the pantry to get into the kitchen, into the house basically. And all my friends would just open that and there'd be, just be rubbish. And, um, and I use that as almost comfort eating. So um, I was a pretty uh, emotional teenager and that was my outlet. I would just grab a whole bunch of shit and run upstairs. No one would see me and I would just sit in front of the TV or the PlayStation back then and just eat rubbish. And I would still go and play my basketball, do whatever. But it was, um, it was a pretty crazy cycle. Obviously, you wake up the next day feeling like crap. Um, you know, I, I, I tried to, to bring it up a few times. Luckily, that didn't happen because that might have gone down a different path. But um, – and that was just the cycle that I tried to beat, but I, I, I had a knee reconstruction. Um, I had a basketball accident, had a knee reconstruction when I was 17. Uh, I had my operation the day before the 2000 Olympics and I sat on my parents' couch for three weeks um, from like 7 a.m. till 2 a.m. At, at night just watching the Olympics. And, and eating. eating. I got up to 104 kilos after that. I had my operation, I was like 96, right? Got up to 104 kilos at the end of that. And my parents, this is the funny thing, they had to restuff the couch because of the dent that I had left in it. That's how much of a, of a crazy world that was. And I laugh at it now, but it's, it's pretty full on. Um, and I just went, you know what, I've had enough. And I, when, when my rehab started, um, I just said, that, that's it. This is not the life I want to live. So I just studied everything to do. You know, the internet was incredible for me that, those days, just um, health and nutrition, um, weightlifting plans, uh, all the different things like Atkinson's diets, all that sort of stuff. I was like, right, what's going to work for my body? I basically threw out sugar completely. Um, I ate a lot of high protein, high fat stuff, and then I trained and I trained and I trained. And I'm luckily, I'm naturally an, an endomorph. So I put on fat really easily, but also put on muscle really easily. Um, so from that, I went from 104 down to about 86, 10% body fat within probably four or five months. Um, completely changed my life. 
Um, I looks different, completely different. Um, growing up as well in my teenage years, I was always the best friend. I was never the boyfriend. So all of a sudden girls started noticing me, my confidence grew. Um, I changed all my subjects at, at um, you know, going on a year or two later into into high school, uh, sorry, into university, into, you know, said exercise physiology. I attempted a few of the things of marketing, um, accounting, finance, failed them all. So I went back to what I loved and what I was passionate about. Um, again, did my personal training stuff and then and then went from there. So that that was just a, literally a, a massive, massive change for me. But it, what's amazing is you actually noticed the issue yourself and took action yourself. Yep. You know, there wasn't really that. You're very like self-action taken. Like even the fact that, okay, I've got a comfortable environment. I'm only meeting certain type of people. I want to meet more people and have more adversity. Okay, I'm going to go overseas. You know, it's it's a very self-aware. Um, self-aware. Yeah, yeah, you're very self-aware. And, and can you just share more about – you know, you're sitting there, you, you're, you get home, you start eating stuff in your face with junk food. Why Why do you think that was happening? What, what was the mental situation going on? I think I was, was just unhappy. Yeah. That was just my comfort pretty much. Like everything else in my life was great. I, as I said, I had a fantastic upbringing, was very lucky. Uh, you know, my parents were always around. My mum was a stay-at-home mum. Um, my dad worked really, really hard, but was always there for us. We went on great holidays. Like it was, we grew up classic middle class. You know, dad had a, had a, had a business for 45 years earning a pharmacy. So, uh, the entrepreneurial spirit came out in that, but, um, I, I don't really know, to be honest with you. I just think whether or not it was in my upbringing, you know, I see my mother now with my, uh, with my kids and, and my brother and sister's kids, like she, she gives, she feeds. Uh, so whether or not that was just a comfort thing that, my parents, they grew up quite poor, both of them, so they didn't have that. So whether or not that's the way that they wanted to give back, like my mum gives presents as well, like crazy. And we've got to restrict them because, you know, at the end of the day, especially for young kids, it ends up just being a lot of shit. So, um, you it know. Misses we, the house up, you got shit yeah, everywhere. Yeah, you just don't need it. Yeah. So um, I just think that's just her her way of giving love is just to give, whether that be via food or, or – and it's funny because my father was always incredibly – healthy and my mother as well, always healthy. They would never eat it. It was just be there for us and our friends and, and that was the, the kind of lifestyle that they wanted to give. So, um, and I think I, I, think I sat my dad, dad down as well and said, you know, I'm, not, I'm really not happy and, and he kind of helped me back in the day as well to, you know, I tried some protein shakes and all that sort of stuff when I was, you know, not even in the gym sort of thing. So, um, yeah, good question. But I also think it's a part of my personality. Like I'm an on or off switch personality even now. So, you know, when I'm working, I'm 110%. When I'm with my family, I'm 110%. When I go for the, on a weekend and have a drink, it's not one or two. It's let's have some fun. Like it's just – that's just how it is. So I still think I've almost got those tendencies, um, but I just am mature now and, and again, self-aware to control. And you mentioned that you're quite an emotional person or you're an emotional teenager. Do you think emotions are, uh, or being uh, passionate or emotional, whatever you want to call it, is a positive or a negative when it comes to business? Oh, hugely. Oh, well, it, um, both. Hugely important when it comes to relationships because, because of my past, because of my history, because of where I came from and what I did, I could then relate directly to my clients. So if a client wanted to lose weight and they tried 17 times before, easy. I know the little things to do to get them to, to, to motivate them to make long-lasting changes and consistency. Right Back in the day in the gym, I used to get people, I used to go, right, go into this room, there was a mirror there, take off your shirt, just look at yourself for five minutes, I'll be back. And they just come back and talk about, right, how did you feel just then? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so you have a lot of empathy. 
Oh, it's interesting. Um, the things that I can relate to, I do. It just depends what it is. Because then coming into business, I was a terrible manager. My expectations were there and that's just what you need to hit. But I'm not, I was never the person to pat you on the shoulder and say, yeah, well done, you're doing a good job. Unless it was like over the top excessive, hence why I don't manage people anymore. It's still a lot of self-awareness <laughs> still. Let's get back to the to the business. So you're in London, you experienced uh was it Reforma Pilates? Or, yes. Yeah, you experienced yeah. It was, Reforma. Yeah, it was called uh, dynamic, dynamic Pilates over there, but it was interesting because, like, what is dynamic, right? It's just a fast-paced version of Reforma Pilates. Okay. Well. So you experienced it and you're like, shit, I need to bring this to Australia. Yeah. So what happened? So um, I I worked up to head trainer in that studio. Uh, little did I know uh, when I knocked on the door, Aussie guy opened. He was the head trainer at the time, but he was basically training me and a few others up to then jump ship and open his own brand, which he did. Um so he didn't teach us very well. And luckily that we had the background, we had the personal training and the sports science background, a few, few of our trainers that, that, um, that we survived well. And I think he, he didn't realise that. So not only did we make that business good for our boss at the time, but then we came over here and, and made it even better over here. So I worked my way up to head trainer there for three years, uh, just under three years. And then when I was ready to come home, I was just ready to come home. I remember April, 20, April 2009, the sun was shining all the English people are running out in their bikinis and I was like to get, you know, it was like 16 degrees and they're getting sun on their bodies. I was like, I am done. And everyone was getting excited for summer and I was like, I'm going home. And I had a girlfriend at the time over there. We were living together, um, sat her down and said, I'm going home. And she kind of knew that I wasn't asking her to come with me. It's kind of like this is the end of my journey. The next one's about to begin. We didn't talk about anything for like three months in terms of that and we just had some fun and went travelling to the last few places that I wanted to and then got back July 2009 told myself I wasn't going to go back into fitness until I had my own business. So I went back into the bar and gaming world, which I absolutely hated, lasted three weeks. And then I sat my father down and I just basically bled my passion to him and told him about this business idea. And he's like, right, let's do it. Um, Maybe write this business plan, which was probably the worst business plan in the world. Um, And then I was in his um, bank manager's office three weeks later and he he guaranteed my first loan for 130 grand. Wow. And that's the first studio. First studio was born six months later. And where did KX come from? Kaizen Experience. Yeah, so that's what it stands for. And so uh, – Which you, is, by the way, Japanese for change for the better or continuous improvement. Okay, I was going to ask that. The Kaizen philosophy. Yeah, that yeah. wouldn't have been stupid. Yeah, no, <laughs> that no, would have no, been a fair no. question. Yeah. <laughs> but um, – and, and so did you – the first studio, it was your studio. Yep. You were running it. You were the head coach. Or everything. The, you were everything. Yep. You really yep. indulged in it. Correct. Taught 40 classes a week. Uh, by the way, I had no idea about business at that stage. So um, when I opened the doors the first day, I did no pre-marketing to, uh, before that. So no one came in. So I was like, shit, better, better start learning about how to, how to run a business. Um, so then by the time things got moving, I was doing yeah all the admin, taking all the bookings, phone calls, doing the marketing, going all, around all the local businesses, trying to get involved and, and really um, create that community feel. And teaching 40 classes a week. I was up at 4 a.m., home at 10 p.m. at night. I'd sleep on the couch during the day, um, come home, and my mum would help me wash the towels. We don't have them anymore because of COVID, but we used to have little hand towels and stuff like that that she would help me with and have dinner on the table. And Dad gave me his car to drive for that that 12 months, um, and I paid myself like 200 bucks a week. And so how old were you? 26. Oh, you're young. Yeah, but see, that's beautiful because you didn't know what you were doing. Correct. And no one ever knows what they were doing. Like – most people, when you start a business, you have, especially if it's your first business, you just don't know what you're doing. Like yeah. you, you, you don't think of all the problems that could come. But 
what happens is, or happened to me anyway, is you end up with so many problems that you end up having to just focus on the most important problems and you just kind of work your way down the list. And, you know, as you're working your way down, new problems pop up, but it forces you to prioritize things. Like, so, you know, you open the doors and no one walked in. So you're like, shit, I need to do some marketing. Yeah. And like one thing that I think is underrated, particularly for businesses like yours, is relationship based marketing. You know, you literally walked around your local community, built relationships with the other businesses, let them know who you are. Get so them important. Like, it's the most important. Yep. Even with Cub, when I started Cub and, and now starting BOA, my full-time job was just m- making friends with people yep. and people that I really enjoyed making friends with. That's why I started the companies to, to meet people like yourself and, 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 and other business people. But once people know you and they like you and they love what your vision, what you're trying to create, they, they naturally, they, they support you. Correct. And they'll and, talk about you. Yeah. And at the start, you, it's free yep. and, and you learn from them too. Like it, it's the most important marketing at the start is just telling the world what you're doing yep. and, and just speaking to as many people as, possi- as possible about it. Yeah. And the good thing about not, no one coming in was I had time to then do all of that too. <laughs> so it wasn't like now, like open a KX studio now, we do a pre-marketing sale. We have anywhere between 500 and 1,000 clients in already booked in before the doors open. So then where's your time to do all that stuff that, that I was doing back then? You don't have it as much. But um, And the other thing about risk as well, I had nothing to lose. So we have franchise partners now. Like they've got houses, got kids, mortgages, responsibilities. I had none. I was living with my parents, driving my dad's car, paying myself 200 bucks a week. Like I stopped drinking to save money and also to stay mentally fit. Uh, I stopped hanging out with my friends because I was just so focused on business. So I was like, there was, n- I just lived and breathed the business. And yeah. Oh, I love it. And, and tell me, how did you, when did you believe it was time for you to scale? So you obviously got the first studio to a point where you're like, wow, this is working. Like, yeah. Wicked. When, what was the thought process behind, okay, I need to grow now. How do I do that? Yeah. So it was 10 or 11 months in. I was still unsure if it was going to work, by the way, because no one knew what boutique fitness was in Melbourne at the time. This was 2010. F45 came around 2013 when I was up here. In, I moved up to Sydney to open the flagship up here in Surrey Hills. That was when F45 opened to really pave the way for boutique fitness and people spending 70 bucks a week on fitness. But back then I was dealing with people in the 24-7 gym worlds, the Jets, Snaps, Anytimes, paying 12 bucks a week for unlimited access to a gym. And here I am going, hey, come over to KX and for one class it's 30 bucks. Everyone's like, what are you doing? Like, this is not going to work. But I was like, you know what? Everyone's sick of being a number. I was sick of being a number in a gym, walking through the doors and everyone and not even getting either greeted or a little, not even my name or nothing. But I was like, you know what? Uh, that was probably the good thing about when I opened was I had less people coming through the doors so I could focus on them. And for that 50-minute workout, yeah, I trained them really hard, but I'd know their name, I'd know their husband or their wife or their dog or their holiday destination, their favourite restaurants, and then bang. I'd write it all down when they, when they left. And so the next time they walked in, I was like, oh, you know, Jesse, how was, how was your weekend with your husband and did you, like all this sort of stuff? And all of a sudden they, they're belonging to somewhere they feel. And then – Naturally, I mean, I did care as well. Like I, I, I'm very much a person who, who cares about the next human and that's probably why it worked too because I genuinely cared about them. They could see that. And then, and then it built from there. So it slowly but surely built up. Um, you know, the average KX Pilates studio now earns between forty-five and 47000 in revenue a month. 
I earned 6,000 in my first three months combined. That was my first bass, 6,200 and something. So it was an incredible grind for the first year. And if it wasn't for my parents and my father, he'd wait up for me at home to basically go, well, how's your day? And I wanted to quit like every second day. I was like, I'm over this, the long days, the long nights, it's not working. Um, but I just knew that if there were more people booked in next week than there were this week, then I was moving forward. There was light at the end of the tunnel. It was the group buying platform that came in late 2010 jump on it, it's a scoop on scoop on just sold for like 40 whatever million it was crazy so that had a lot of traction but these databases were huge like 100,000 people on these databases uh, my demographic women between 20 and 50 young professionals or young mothers um, use that platform to get the, na the name out there um, and, and that, also you're saying those platforms helped you find new clients so you'd list correct. your classes on those platforms I was selling like five sessions for $29 they would keep like 20 bucks of it so I was getting ripped but I was getting people in my exposure doors. exactly it's like a marketing cost like it, you'd have absolutely. to look at it. it's just on the back end right mm. so and because I wasn't paying myself much and I was doing most of the classes and my studio wasn't full so if I had you know, there was four or five people in a class and I had five spots, six, seven spots back then. I started with eight machines and then we built up. Obviously now we have 12 to 14 machines in each studio, but back then um, I paid the trainer or myself the same amount whether it was full or it was half empty. So to fill those people, those extra spots up with people that go and you know, love it and no one could go anywhere else to have that experience because there was no other competi competition back then. Um, so we doubled our revenue in, in January of 2011, we sold like 1600 of these vouchers. Um, and then from there I was like, right, we need to open studio two because people will think if we open studio two, that studio one's doing really well. Um, and they'll <laughs> think that it's off the profits of studio one, which it wasn't. But, but it's true. Yeah. People do think that. Perception. Yeah. Perception is so important, especially at the start, at the start. Like if you make people, if you look like you're doing well and, and real things, you can't fake look it because, you know, people can fake look, uh, for example, um, yeah, some certain awards or, you know, we've got an office space that's not really an office, that's not really their office space. But when you open a new, yeah, something tangible, people can see, okay, this is real. Yep. That makes a big, big um difference in people's eyes and people all of a sudden say, oh, maybe I should start paying attention to this thing. Maybe this is good. You know, maybe, maybe I should go in for a class and see how it is because other people are doing it. I know lawyers on their signature have three different addresses for Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, but they don't have offices. Of course. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> a real great. thing. Yeah. It's perception Absolutely. is just so important. Correct. So I was like, right, how am I going to do this? Dad, how about going back to the bank manager's office again? Do you mind putting another signature on a, on a guarantor document or, or just using the same piece of, uh, piece of equity, um, which he did. So then we opened Port Melbourne, uh, in August of 2011. So that was the second studio, more of a young professional market, um, a young mum market versus Malvern, which was my first, which is a bit more of the family of the family market. So trialing a couple of demographics. Um, and again, worked really, really well. And again, at a time, I knew I wasn't incredible at teaching and instructing trainers. I could teach them and I could, I could bring them up to, uh, to good instructors. But um, a girl called Amy Skinner, she worked with me in London. She was like obsessed with Pilates and education. She came over for a holiday. She was like my international trainer for three weeks in, in the first studio. And then she just fell in love with Australia. So I was like, hey, I'll sponsor you. Come and be... Um, be the head of training, which she still is today, um, wow. like 11 years later. Um, but uh, then she ran that studio. So she ran the Port Melbourne studio for me as the manager and, and the face of, and I did a couple of classes, but um, did really well. But then one of my trainers in, the, in that studio, Ali Sensor, she came to me and she's like, right, I want to get involved. 
And I was like, well, I haven't done my franchise documentation yet. Let's go partnership, um, like a 50 fit. I think it was a 49, 51 or whatever. But um, so I, I retained ownership and the IP and all that sort of stuff. But I said, I'll open the doors. I'll do the build. You run the studios. Because at that stage as well, I had grinded out 18 months. It was probably two years by the time we opened. And I was like, I'm just done with the day-to-day running of studios. But I'm obsessed with the business and the growth of, of, of growing this company. So she's like, awesome. Um, she was also a bit of a socialite back then in, in the world of Richmond and and, um, and NRL. And uh, so she opened the Richmond studio 2012 and it was a success from the start, like cash flow positive in four weeks. It wasn't booming, it was full. And we did everything right that time. We did pre-marketing. We pissed off the jump on it and the scoop ons. That's when Facebook marketing started coming in. It was, then, a, it was a third go round. It wasn't your first around. rodeo anymore. Correct. Yeah. And it was with uh, the, uh, the right person. It wasn't just me, you know, the Lord Aaron yeah. going, hey, come and, come and check us out. And people, it wasn't what was KX Pilates. It was awesome that KX Pilates is now opening close to me. So we hit that young professional market. <clears throat> um, so we opened three studios in 12 months off the success of that. It was really, really good. She was my first follower. Um, and a lot of the success of KX is because of those early days and, and, and the success of the studios that she ran. And that enabled me to step back focus on the franchising, documentation, the legal stuff, the operations manual, which was probably the worst in history, um, which is why my wife now, she came on board then as well. She's like, you know, your processes and systems suck and that's what she specialised in. It is hard though doing, like I, I feel for you, doing ops manuals, especially at the start of a business, is hard because you feel like you're wasting time because you're sitting there writing the pages and pages of document of just text and that has to change all the time because every week it feels like, but you know, every month, quarter, year, you're just changing so many different things that you're like, oh, well, is there a point in me writing this document? But I really believe there is. I, I think even the process of sitting there and writing it so that you understand it better and so that you're, you're kind of constantly forcing yourself to think about how you do things and how you achieve and how you can sh- teach someone else to yep. To do that. And it, how you can improve for yeah, sure. Like I've given up on ops manuals many times throughout Cubs history. Um, like me and Laura, we used to do them together because I like everything looking good and Laura does all, all our brand stuff. Um, you know, I'd write this big ops manual. Laura would spend out like we'd spend a long time making them look good. We'd teach them to the team and then literally like a year later it was pretty much irrelevant, you know, and like we had to do a brand new one. But I, I think it's a good pro- – I think – People should stick to it, you know, or, especially or, if you're franchising or, de- or you want to delegate scale. it. Yeah, or, or if you want to scale. Yeah. yeah, if you want to scale, you need 100%. something to scale. You, you need know? to you find need someone, those. though, that loves that. I am, yes. I am not a detailed systems processes person. My personality is a complete opposite. I'm big picture and, like, follow shiny things and that was not me. My wife, on the other hand, that is, like, her jam. So she was like, give it to me and I'll just sort it out and she made it incredible. Yeah, I'm finding people that, that complement your skill set. Yep. And so uh, w- when did you start franchising? How did that 2013. all 2013. So I pushed it out there. Um, and my first franchise partner was the husband of a, a client. Uh, and he basically, he was, he was an entrepreneur, basically said to me, look, my wife cannot get into your Port Melbourne studio like for like three weeks or four weeks. You're doing something right. How can I get involved? Um, so that was it. Um, so I signed our first, first franchise off the back of that. Um, one of, uh, Ali's, so my, my first follower, one of her training buddies as well. She was in the personal training space going, Hey, I want to, um, 
I want to change it up because again, she's like, I'm working so, so much. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just, you know, switching up time for a dollar. I, I want to start a business. So again, she grabbed, um, the Southeastern suburbs. And then I had another client as well, um, that he was more an investor slash entrepreneur and said, again, he was a, just loved what we were doing, um, and wanted to get involved. So my first three franchises were sold in 2013. And they were all people that were, you know, touching the brand. They, yeah. they, they realized, oh, wow, this is. This is special. I want to be involved in this. And you know what? Fast forward 13 years, that's all of our growth has been internal. So I reckon I could split it down the middle of our franchise partners to either trainers who have come up through the ranks very much like myself, who have no idea about business, but eventually a trainer wants their own thing or thinks they can, not thinks they can do it better, but wants their own thing, wants, wants their own studio. So they've either gone, a lot of our trainers have gone out and opened KX Copycat Studios, as we call them, which is totally cool. The independents are, are definitely, there's value in that. Or they're like, I want to get involved. And that's why that, that's what I learned from the London days as well. Don't let your, all of your trainers become competitors. Um, so half of our network would be trainers and then the other half of our network would be clients. They just, yeah. they love the brand, they're brand ambassadors. They either were in corporate or they had a young family, they wanted to come back into the workforce and they wanted their own business. Um, so that's it. We don't have the investors in the outside going, hey, I want 20 studios, where do I put them? We send them away. Yep, so. and it's but it's a, my my old man used to say to me that for you to make money, people around you have to make money, and like that's you, franchising. It is, and like because those people, like you said, they could if they see it and it's working, they'll be like, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to go try it myself. I can I can run a Pilates studio. I'm doing it here anyway. Yeah. They could go try create their own branding. Most people don't want to do that. It's too much of a headache to I'm going to go do the brand and hire the staff and do the financials and find an accountant and do a lawyer. Do I need a trademark? It's just a lot of shit. If you just give them an easier path, it's like, hey, you can own your own studio, but don't worry about all the bullshit that that comes along with starting a business, we'll take care of that for you. You own and run the studio. Like they're going to be much more inclined to just, especially if they already like you, they love the brand, they want yeah. to stay part of the bigger family. And the, well, that's exactly support. it. And I think starting, and, I, and I'm, I started my own business, so I've got to be careful what I say here because I started my own brand, but at the same time I, I'm a franchisor. But if you want to go and do your own thing and be your own boss, 100% I'll put your hats off to it. And there's been people in our network that have butted heads so much with head office that we've sat them down and gone, you need to go and do this on your own, man. Like we will support you and help you sell your studios to go out and do it on your own because you're not working within the franchise framework. Like you want to go left field, so go left field on your own. You're almost too different to be part of Correct. us. Correct. Or too entrepreneurial even. Mm -hmm. Just like you've got to understand what franchising is about. Franchising is a system. And if you want to work outside of that system, you need to go and do it on your own. And the other side of things are we had a lot of trainers that went like, I want to get involved in the franchise, but I want to be in South Yarra. It's like, well, South Yarra is taken, you know, by really close to Paran and Richmond. It's not going to work. So, like, that's cool. I'm just going to open my own studio in South Yarra then. I think they get, they get taken up by the idea and the motivation, the excitement of their own business. And then, you know, what's really exciting about starting a business is creating your own brand, you know, working with a brand developer, getting your logo, you know, that sort of stuff. It's funny how the it's, brand is always the exciting. Uh, Everyone's yeah. excited to create their own brand. Yeah. It's just hard to make that brand mean something. Exactly. You know, that, and then they the forget part. when all that sort of um, excitement of starting your brand is over. And then all of a sudden they're in the day-to-day -day of running business, growing a business, shit, no one's coming through my doors, that sort of stuff. Oh, my God, I'm working 60-hour weeks. Oh, my God, I've still got to do the accounts. I've got to do the marketing. I've got to do all we – take, we, there's so much support and help with a franchise that – and also you've got a brand, right? We open the doors. It's not 
um, Jesse's Pilates studio. It's KX South Yarra that's run by Jesse. Great, but everyone knows KX already. So then the whole network. It's like, faster for you to grow your exactly. business. Like, I mean, look yeah. at Noosa, right? This is a perfect example. Everyone goes holiday there. So most studios in Australia go down when school holidays go. Our studio pumped last week. We had like we had a record with the record month of September because Australia goes to holiday in Noosa and they they buy packs and go for it. So if that was just like Andy's Pilates studio, no one would know what that is. So that's the that's the power of the brand, right? And that's why I think people forget uh, that we've got 13 years track record and we've got you know brand awareness that. That helps. And so obviously you grew fast because you went, yeah, I mean, you got over a hundred studios now. What were the biggest challenges in scaling or lessons in scaling you encountered? Uh, the biggest challenges in scaling, I would say, is um, managing the, the people. As I said before, I'm a table manager and I loved the relationships that I built in the first, like my first five franchise partners. Um, one of them sold out or two of them have sold out very, very amicably, but my other three collectively own like over 30 studios. Like wow. they have grown their network really, really well. I'm still really good friends with them. And we were just so close. Um, we would sit down and collaborate with each other. Like we didn't have a marketing team. So I was like, cool, what are we going to do? Um, and it was a really close family. But I think after a while when I think 15, 16, we went from 17 to 30, 40 studios or something. I think we did 17 studios in 17 months. All of a sudden you, you're dealing with a lot of people, a lot of opinions, I had to hire staff, you know, whether they like the operational staff or not. At the time, I could only afford juniors. So all of a sudden, you've got a junior who's never owned a business before, very, very good at operations and support, but trying to tell a, you know, young entrepreneurial 30-something-year-old how to help them run a business, they kind of like get stuffed. Like, I want to talk to Aaron. This is, I don't like this change. And that's a, that was the biggest problem. Change in a franchise is the hardest. It's the hardest. And now it's fine. We've got a mature franchise and a CEO that runs it. Someone coming in now would know no different, but it's been incredibly hard for those original franchise partners who have gone through the test of time. Yes, they've been rewarded. They've got the best sites, the best studios in the country, and they probably earn the most amount of money in the, in the network. But their transition of change has been incredible what they've had to go through. Yeah. So evolution. Yeah. You start when you get to a business, it's never as good as it's going to be, especially 10 years later. Yep. And just surviving those changes and, and I mean, there's obviously adversities that come with changes um, as well. Like if you joined Carbon Year One and you left – and then you came back, which has actually happened a few times. You'd be like, "What is this place? Yeah. Like, it doesn't even work the same. Nothing's yeah. nothing's the same." There's yeah. a few key team members all still there, but but other than that, you wouldn't even even the clubhouse is different. Yeah. So, you know, early adopters they get the they get a lot of benefits. They do, but they also do have a lot more challenges that others would not have. Huge, like three rebrands, just changed all of our equipment over to our new uh, exclusive KX formers. So, guess how I was. Standing up in 2018, 19 to the conference, excited as hell because this was going to really signify the difference between KX and, and our copycat studios having our own exclusive equipment. Balanced Body are the number one brand in, in the world for Pilates equipment. We've got their first exclusive deal in 70 years. I was like, this is a sure win. I get up there and all they heard was, I've got to spend over $120,000 in the next five years. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, go to hell. <laughs> I'm successful. I've just paid my machines off and you're making me go and get new. Like, so I was like, what is going on? That's your franchisees. For, yeah. Well, that's it. the funny thing. You always have to remember that I found, even if you make changes that are for the better, like these are positive changes like, and you are certain of it. The, the, these are like, in my case, 
this is better for the members. Yes. People that, um, that existing members that see that change often are like, oh, no, oh, no I, you know, I don't want to do that. I, I want to do it this way. Even if you're giving them something far superior, people don't want the change even if, even if it's a positive change. And people some, just don't like – a majority of people just don't like change. Well, one thing I learned is if you change slowly, like in little steps over time – People don't really notice it yeah, as much. Yeah. So like when we try to change anything at Cub, we don't really normally now do big one big hit. We used to do that, but it just caused too many issues. So what I'll do is often I'll, you know, this is where I want to get. I'm going to change this first and yep. then I'm going to do this one. And then and I won't even mention it. They, you know, yeah. People don't notice little changes until eventually it's almost you've slid into, you know, you've rode a wave into yeah. you know, wherever you want to get. And uh, change is a funny thing. And 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 tell me, so you 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 kept saying that you've actually so KX has a CEO, which isn't you. Correct. That's a big deal. Not Huge. many people do that. I'm a big fan of that, but not many people do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So 2000, I had my first son in 15, my daughter in 17, and it was about that stage where, you know, I was I was working crazy hours. I wanted to give back to my family, and I just wasn't enjoying being CEO. Like CEO of a franchise business, the hardest. CEO position, I feel, in any role. Why is that? Because you've got your franchise partners who um, they've all got opinions. You've got to listen to all of them. Um, they collectively have – it's all about relationships in, in franchising. So but there is something that one of them is not happy with on a daily basis that you need to sort. Well, now we've got the team to really sort that out as well. But um, you need a lot of empathy. You need to f understand where they're coming from how they're feeling. And this just wasn't me, right? I was fast moving. I was growing a business. So I didn't have the time nor the patience to really sit down and understand. Um, at the same time, I had a really big fight with one of my franchise partners, ended up in court. It was just really a massive learning curve of miscommunication. And, and that was kind of the, the turning point for me going, you know what? And I had a, I had a really good um, colleague at the time uh, in another business saying, I'm the CEO and in a year's time I, I don't know what CEO I'm, I'm going to be but I'm going to find out and I'm going to learn how to do it. And I was like, you know what, I don't, that's not me. I, want, I would rather find someone who has been there, done that, who is way more experienced than me that can take it and all the skills that I don't that can bring it. So I started looking and um, didn't work out in the first trial. I had a COO that was potentially going to move up. Um, nine months later we parted ways just the wrong fit for the brand. I do like that system though. Instead of putting someone straight in the C yeah. CEO, testing it out in a CEO, CEO capacity. Testing it out, um, which was, great it was great. I learned a hell of a lot from him. He was, uh, he was a, a mentor and a business coach of mine previously anyway. So huge positives is that just didn't fit our brand. It's simple as that. And then um, Selena was, she worked with my wife, Andy um, in corporate uh, before that. And, um, and at the time then she was the head of, Curves Australasia, uh, which was the female fitness brand. And I used to catch up with coffees every three months for her just to chat like one CEO to another. Well, she was the general manager. But the problem with her was it was a master franchise out of America. So she couldn't change anything, which is probably why, unfortunately, it's the demise of the brand has occurred because there's been no change. Um, so she was butting her head up against the wall a lot. And I was like, well, but she was so passionate about her franchise partners. She was so passionate about the brand still in fitness. And I was like, man, if you're so passionate about this brand that's declining, imagine what you can do with a brand that's emerging. Um, and after every coffee, I was like, so how are you going? And she's like, oh, I'm really good. I'm really loving it still. 
And then after about three years and the exit of the COO, I, I sat her down again and it was, again, the time where we could afford her. She was she, she wasn't was, cheap. Hers was private equity back back then, so she had some big bonuses and equity and stuff like that. So um, we did a deal and, uh, and, I, and again, the first non-founding CEO was a big call card for her. Uh, she'd never been CEO before, but the freedom that I was offering her was huge. And, again, I, I think a lot of founders, I get the questions a lot about move, removing yourself. Um, again, you need to be self-aware of what you're good at, what you're not good at, and understand you won't be that face of that business anymore in the capacity of the day-to-day. I'm still the face when it comes to the founder and stuff like that, which is what I love. You still do the podcast. Still do the podcast. <laughs> um, so it's about, yeah, sitting down and going, what? Well, and that's the beauty of owning a business, right? You can sit back and go, well, what do I want to do? What do I want to be and how do I want to impact the business? And, and CEO was not it and you had to find someone and she's just been incredible. She's five years, literally last Saturday, she – had a five-year tenure, so and and going strong and well, I think a, a lot of the keys again are self-awareness. Like you knew you didn't want to be CEO, yep. like it's just you know, and also maybe a little bit of humility in the fact that you didn't need to be the CEO. Like I feel like a lot of people, yeah, instead of look like the way I look at it is that I should always be trying to make myself redundant. Like I'm always trying to move upways, and therefore you're dragging people with you up as well because they have to move. If you stop doing a role, someone else has to start doing that role, which means someone else has to do their old role. And and you you start bringing the team up, like up ways, and everyone has that progression because you're progressing yourself. And, you know, I did that with Cub and that's what enabled me to you – know, currently I spend 80% of my time on BOA, which is like a startup, yep. I guess. Um, and I couldn't do that if if I hadn't – if I hadn't – almost made myself redundant in running cup. Yeah. So I think you should be trying to push forwards as, as, a, as a leader, can't even call it the CEO or as an owner. And you also want to drag others with you, drag them up and, and make them feel good. And it's also great for selling the business because all of a sudden if you go to sell and the, the people purchasing it be like, wow, this business isn't relying on Daniel anymore. This business is relying on someone else and therefore – it, even if I purchase it, it's still going to continue running. So it's better for the value of the business as well yeah. and, and for your terms and negotiating power when selling. Massive. And KX is 100% non-reliable on myself and my wife at, at all. We literally come in and do what we want in the capacity that we want. I get I get joked around. They roll me out when I need to do things like podcasts or interviews or conference or international masters or a perspective international because I'm a relationships guy, right? So throw me in a room or take me. I take someone out to dinner and right. Let's I, as you can see, I bleed passion for the brand. I love people. I love changing lives for the better, which is what KX is all about. But um, you need to get out of your way as a founder. I would argue that eighty percent of businesses would do better if their founding CEO got the hell out of the way and hired someone more. And you know what? You, at the start, you've got to get a pay cut, right? Selena gets paid very well. Um, and, of course, if I wanted to go back and work 80 hours a week, I could double my salary quite simply. But at the moment, 80% of my life is in my family and I still get paid for it. And it's pretty cool because I own the business still 100% with my wife and we still have the direction we want to go and do what we want to do. We've got the freedom to do what we want to do, but you've got to get out of your way. And so how do you manage that relationship with Selena? So she's yeah. the CEO. What are you doing and how do you manage that relationship? So Selena's an incredible human. She has incredible respect for myself and Andy and understands that it's still an independent family-owned business, which she loves. She has the freedom to basically do what she wants day-to-day, -day. bigger picture items like international or 
um, new directions, uh, acquisitions, that sort of stuff, like board sort of stuff, obviously. Um, we catch up on a on a fortnightly basis for a good hour chat and then we have our meeting, board meetings every month just to, to run through the financials and everything like that. But um, Okay, so she you gets really it. are removed. Like I'm you, completely removed. Yeah, two, every two-week chat plus a monthly two week chat, formal chat. Monthly formal chat, that's it. I mean we, we speak every you know, couple of days anyway. She really enjoys our opinions and she likes us to be across the business as well. Uh, but the day-to-day, like the stuff that she's coming to me with about where she's going, the conversations she's having and, the, you know, some of the difficult conversations, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not CEO anymore. Like these things, I would lose sleep. And I think she can remove herself because as much as she's still involved and um, or how heavily she's involved, it's different when it's your business. It's different when you're the founder. Like you wear it on your sleeve so much that I just lo- I lost so much sleep over just nothing. Things that – arguments that you knew that in two weeks would be completely forgotten about. Um, that's that, a good that's point. Why. I've never thought about that. Yeah. You take it a bit too personally sometimes too personally. as the founder and therefore maybe your decision-making as a CEO could be affected. Yeah, and I'm really bad in the sense that if you annoy me enough, then all of a sudden the lines cross and I'm like, if yeah. you – I just don't like you in general now. And that doesn't work in a franchise, <laughs> no. right? No, I don't like you, but it's just like, okay, now I'm just like the the sitting down and being nice is, is no longer, which is it doesn't work. It 100% doesn't work in a franchise. You need to be so empathetic and be next to that franchise partner the, the entire way. So now as a founder, I'm really close to my franchise partners in the right way of relationships and family and, and seeing. And what's been incredible in the journey of, of 13 years is seeing people's Lives change financially, seeing their families change, grow, get married, have kids. Like the relationship, the family of KX is incredible. And that's why I, that's what I love. And so you've got a, you've, is your book new? Yeah, launched on Monday. So, just oh, it just launched. Yeah. So Aaron Smith, define yourself when passion, purpose and business collide. Tell me about it. Yeah, so it's. And thank you for my book. And thank you for this nice message. Lovely. Not a problem. Um. Yeah, look, it's a journey of KX. It's all the mistakes that I made. It's extremely raw. I, I wear my heart on my sleeve um, and it's the highs and lows of business success, the mistakes made, the expensive lessons as I call them. Um, and it's really for that startup entrepreneur that, uh, that I'm just pr- trying to provide value back. Uh, it, it talks about the upbringing, my travels, you know, what travel means to me, um, the eating you know, disorder when I was in my teenage years, all the way up to, you know, finding the style of KX, uh, the style of Dynamic Pilates and bringing back and starting my own, own brand. He's got everything. I mean, how it all began, the evolution of KX, COVID. We didn't even speak about COVID, COVID today, but oh that God. I'm sure would have been real messed up. That was horrible. Oh, how many how First. many um, studios did you have when that 68. Happened? First oh. to close, last to open. Wow. And the long one, whiny franchise. And can I just say, franchise. in COVID, the hardest thing was – Head offices in Melbourne. My guys in Melbourne, half of our team is no longer there because, like, we drained them through COVID so much. Like, they were working their asses off because if one state would close, another state would open, head office worked the entire time and it was just a nightmare. They, the stress that they felt, I think they, they were probably never working franchising again. <laughs> <laughs> but they were incredible. And, I, and if anyone's listening, thank you, like, a world over because without my head office team in COVID, um, some are still around and they're incredible, but the ones that did move on, um, uh, we would not have, we would not have gone. Got I also think it's normal for people to move. Like, 100%. like it's obviously fantastic having long-term team members. And I 
personally think it's kind of like the most important thing because Cup wouldn't be Cup if we didn't have the team and the team's just been there for so long. Um, Starting from scratch would just, it would be too hard. But there are, people do leave. Like that's a normal part of life. And, And I just think that, if your business, like KX, which which it did, if it helped them get from, you know, a point B to a point C and they helped KX get from a point to a point, yeah, the, the journey might be over for that person and, and KX or, or, or Cub, but but both are better off because of that relationship happened. And I think that should be also celebrated. I've never been upset when a franchise partner's moved on, nor an employee. I almost praise them for saying, well done for having the balls to – take that next step and move on and do something for yourself. A lot of people don't have the guts to do it. They sit around and then they whinge and moan and, and it's like it's not good for anyone. It's not good for us. It's not good for you. So go out, achieve your dreams, go to another job, like go and move up where you think you need to move up, grow. And the business is coming second to that every time. Good on you. And, and is there anything else you wanted to mention or, or talk about before we wrap up? So we have our, uh, the KX Entrepreneurial Travel Grant, which we've launched to coincide with the book, which is a $20,000 travel grant to a savvy um, Australian with a business idea to really use travel to bring that idea to life. So just like I had the opportunity through travel um, and through the, the getting ahead that my father gave me, I'm trying to give that back um, to, to someone with an idea to really push that forward. That's I mean, a great idea. Yeah. And, and so – can they, how can they, how do they enter that? Yeah, so kxpilates.com forward slash define yourself is where they enter their details, their cover letter and, and a video if they would like to about what they're thinking um, and then entries close 22nd of October. That's a great, we should steal that idea. That's a fantastic idea. Like travel grant to gain experience to start your business for yeah. early, like young entrepreneurs or people thinking of starting a business. That's a fantastic idea. Do you mind if I steal that? You can steal it. Cub might start sending out travel grants. Uh-huh. <laughs> it also comes with 12-month mentorship from myself and my team as well to really ideate the idea and, and move it forward. So um, oh, it's really cool. Really You're cool. such a champion and and, and uh, I, I really enjoyed talking to you and, and, and for your time today. And uh, to our listeners, if you want to uh, get in contact with Aaron or learn more about um, favourite books he recommends, Greatest Lessons in Business. Uh, actually, I want to read. I, I read your favourite quote and I absolutely loved it. I wrote it down somewhere. One second. Here it is. Care more about your customers than the money you will make from them. Sorry, I'm reading my own writing and my writing is horrible. So care more about your customers than – I'm just going to read you. Say it. I'm it's actually, easy. Yeah, care okay. more about your customers than you do from the money you'll make from them and you'll be successful. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. It's a quote by the I late Jim Rohn. I saw when I was 18 in a conference in Las Vegas and he that, that I literally think about that quote every other day. I absolutely loved it. It's the best. Yeah, when I, it was probably my favourite quote that I've read. Obviously, I can't read my own writing, but when I read it on the prep sheet, I, I loved it. And if you want to find out more, you can go to cup.club forward slash podcast and find more out more information about Aaron. If you want to catch up with Cub on socials, it's at Club United Business. It's also awesome. Thank you again, Aaron. Uh, it was fantastic. Appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the show.